views expressed on the following program of those of its hosts and participants in no way reflect those of the staff or management of WNRI. Author's Hour. Get the story behind the story. It's all on the Author's Hour. You'll get to hear the authors talking about their books and the journey behind how it all began. Join the opportunity to hear the insights on what inspired them to write it. Now, here is your host, Wayne G. Barber. Good morning, America. Tuesday morning, 9.05. Another edition of the award-winning Authors Hour radio program. A unique show for the literary field here, uh, locally in New England, preference to Rhode Island first, and then on the uh, national scene, as in New York Times bestsellers, get back on the road now, coming through New England. We have to allot them time on that, too. And today, I'm proud to announce, we're going to have an all-star lineup today of two Rhode Island authors. This name may sound familiar. Over 22 years writing articles in the Boston area, Judy Foreman has come out with her fourth book, and this is a blockbuster. And then to really tease the audience, the second part of the show, we have a lot of diehard longtime listeners on WNRI, and one of our radio personalities that was here from 1977 through 80, if I did my math right, is the only inductee into this year's class of the Rhode Island Radio and TV Hall of Fame. And we will have her on the second part of the show. We're just warming up on Smokin' 99.9. Folks, if you or someone you know is celebrating a birthday and you want Wayne to announce it on his program, just send him an email. His address is waynewnri at yahoo.com. Help make that special someone feel like celebrating with a birthday shout-out on WNRI. Thank you, Johnny. Happy birthday today, Ray Michelet. Uh, Aaron Kuchu. Cumberland Library director up there and on the board of directors of the Harrisville Library. All about those books. Aaron Kutcher, a big happy birthday. Our race car driver, Buddy Charette, who had the great 2021 season. And one of my favorite poets from Providence, Rhode Island, been on this show five times, Adelie Bourne, turns a young 86 today, along with Mike DeGrange from Chapachet, turning 44. I'm going to change this a little bit because I'm only going to get a couple of commercials in and then get to these interviews because I am, my heart is just in AFib mode because of the quality of the guest today. And I'll tell you, you got to, I can smell a coffee too coming from Webster Bass, uh, Hogan Brothers Coffee. She must have went in there early today. At Book Lovers Gourmet, your local independent bookstore. Owned and operated by Debbie Horan since 1995. And very receptive to local authors and poets to get your product and get a presentation at her fine store at 72 East Main Street in Webster, Mass. Again, Hogan Brothers Coffee. And it's also available by the pound. All the pastries by Phyllis Bakery. And you name it, they've got it right there. Um, A children's section. 
puzzles, games. They expanded quarters right down the street where they are now with the free parking. It's been a real big good move for them. At Book Lovers Gourmet at 72 East Main Street and Webster, Mass., uh, 508 949-6232. All right. Button your five-point harnesses. We are about to dissect a Massachusetts author, and I've got to give you a little resume. Think about the last 30 years in the metropolitan Boston area on articles you've read by a certain author named Judy Foreman. She's a former Boston Globe health columnist and author of three works of nonfiction and also a Wellesley College graduate, three years in the Peace Corps in Brazil. There's a story in itself and has a master's from Harvard Graduate School of Education. She's a frequent lecturer on medicine at Harvard Medical School, too, a fellow in um, medical ethics, also at the Harvard Medical School and Knight Science Fellow at MIT. She was a senior fellow at Schuster Institute for Investigative Journalism at Brandeis University. Their credentials are just page after page after page. Now, before I get that, this is quite a change because she started out with... I don't know, 2,200 articles in the Boston area. So she developed a fantastic loyal following. They couldn't get enough. So then she gets into books with three nonfictions and then on the back burner. Jesus, I have never read, I never wrote a novel. <laughs> so she comes out with this book. I gets it from the publisher in the mail, and I says, why does that name sound familiar? You know, because I, it was mailed to me by the publicist, so I figured Las Vegas, Chicago, another one of the big five, you know, publishers trying to get me to get one of the uh, people coming through New England. And then it dawned on me, oh, my God, I was, I was having one of those senior moments. I says, that's the Judy Foreman. Now, this is her debut novel, and it is a fiction, and it's a medical thriller, okay? She uses a cutting edge of generic disease research, revered among clients at his IVF clinic, but he harbors a real doc secret. In addition to helping infertile couples conceive healthy babies, Dr. Kramer is obsessed. And I'm not going to say anything else about this, but if that doesn't get your juices flowing with a hook, nothing does. We are honored to introduce Judy Foreman. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. What a lovely introduction. Thank you. I could go on an hour. (laughs) I could go on an hour on this. This is something. Thank you. I opened the package in the mail, and as soon as I saw Judy Foreman, I knew knew it. It was on the tip of my tongue, and I said, boy, somebody's using this person's name that I knew from some time in the past, or I've read something. (laughs) And then I got into the uh, nuts and bolts of it. And uh, what an exciting journey uh, 
that you've had in life? It has been. It really has been. Lots of twists and turns. <laughs> Unexpected and planned, both. <laughs> you know what catches me? The anachronism of the name of the book. That always catches me when an author thinks out the box, you know, out of the box, and comes up with a title of the book that first makes you start thinking about it. Why or how did she come up with that word? How did that come about? What does it stand for? Oh, okay. Well, I don't know if your listeners are ready for this, but um, yes, the name just kind of popped into my head. The name of the book is Chris Bird with an apostrophe D at the end, like as in having been crispered. Um, CRISPR without the apostrophe D, just C-R-I-S-P-R, is a, an acronym, a medical term, and it stands for, are you ready? Clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats. Um, there will not be a quiz on that. But what that basically means is uh, it's a string of the so-called letters in DNA uh, that researchers can uh, concoct um, like a little model of DNA to land on certain spots in the genome, like certain genes or certain parts of genes, like a little, um, you know, that little zipper thing on a jacket, and it chugs along those, those uh, little teeth of the zipper. Scientists have now figured out a way to create a chunk of RNA, very much like DNA, and it, it chugs along the DNA until it hits the spot that the researchers want. And then when it gets there, uh, it uses what people call molecular scissors, and it cuts the DNA and can take out a gene or put in a new gene. So even though it's a very fancy, uh, difficult word to understand all the, the what the letters stand for, it's basically a way of cutting and pasting DNA, taking taking out genes, putting in genes, fixing bad genes, etc. Think of it basically as cut and paste, and it's called CRISPR. Thank you very much for that explanation. Now I can really <laughs> sleep welcome. tonight really good, because now I can <laughs> figure out what it is. Uh, are you working possibly on something new? I am. Um, oh, my God, already? A month. <laughs> well, yes, I'm a little slow off the start. There's been a lot of um, radio shows like yours for the CRISPR book, so I've been pretty busy. But, yes, I have an idea, and I've already done some interviews. Uh, I'm a reporter at heart, so I do a lot of reporting. I do have an idea for another book, and it also uh, is based in the greater Massachusetts, Rhode Island area. So um, don't, don't, don't stay up late waiting for it. It's going to be a couple of years. But, yes, it's, it's uh, locally based. They say, write what you know. So I'm, I'm trying to do that. I got an email from Worcester, Massachusetts, from Linda. And she says, could you ask you, I guess, Judy, where do you call home? Um, well, for many, many years, like 50, uh, Cambridge was my home. My husband and I moved about three years ago to Newton. So we are now living in Newton, which is only a short hop from Cambridge and worth worth a lot in its own right but uh, we found a condo we really liked here so so we moved but I miss Cambridge I have to say I got an email here from Hyannis Cape Cod 
and it's very, very lengthy. Mm -hmm. And I'm multitasking here with three different computer screens. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Author's Hour on Smokin' 99.9 FM. And also, a lot of people yesterday afternoon and today, as you know, can communicate live on the show at WayneWNRI at Yahoo.com. And then I read them and see if they're appropriate for the airways. And also, after the show, you can listen to this and other programs that I have here on my three different radio shows on Anchor.fm slash Bobber, Wayne dash Bobber. It's the podcast version of the show. So if you've missed any part of the show, please take advantage of that. And the question from Hyannis, Massachusetts is, I purchased her book, and it was by University Oxford Press. And she says, I think the name of the book was Exercise in Pain. What are some of the comments that you got from (laughs) readers? Can I I stop you there? Okay. (laughs) The book, I have written three books for Oxford University Press. One was called A Nation in Pain, which is about chronic pain. And there was a follow-up on that called The Global Pain Epidemic. So two books from Oxford University Press about chronic pain. The third one is called Exercise is Medicine. So I'm not sure which book your your, uh, writer, your emailer is, is asking about. But yes, I have written all three of those. What were some of the most interesting comments or questions you got when you were doing some book signing on that exercise and pain type of book? Exercise is medicine or, yeah. or pain. Uh, well, very different comments. Exercise is not pain. Let's, let's just make sure people get that. I mean, it can cause a little pain sometimes, but um, let's start with exercise. Uh, I've been an exerciser all my life and, um, and a science writer. And I really wanted to dig into what happens at the molecular level, really deep in the body, uh, when we exercise. And it was astounding uh, to discover um, all the minute things that happen with exercise. Um, it has. I have two chapters on exercise and the brain, uh, a chapter on exercise and the immune system, and a chapter, or many chapters on, on inflammation and uh, psychological effects. Um, the, 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 the exercise creates a sort of chain of molecular events all through the body, basically very positive. It's probably the best thing you can do for your health. Um, and the book explains it a lot. And it's, it's, I put in a lot of little funny or inspirational anecdotes, so it's pretty readable. And um, I have to say, every time I take a look at it, I get re, re-motivated to exercise myself. In terms of the chronic pain books, um, uh, I just have felt so much sympathy for people who live in chronic pain. First of all, many of them are not believed. Um, They are dismissed by doctors and nurses, even um, female doctors and nurses, and that's even though women tend to have more chronic pain than men. Um, People are not believed. Chronic pain affects something like 100 million Americans. Um, That would be a goodly chunk, perhaps as much as a third of the population. And yet people in pain are totally dismissed. All you see in the press is concern about the opioid epidemic and people do take and need sometimes 
uh, opioids for pain, but no one writes about pain as kind of the, the trigger for a lot of the use of opioids. So it's, um, it's a complex situation, and I'm extremely sympathetic to people who are living with chronic pain. It's amazing. We're in this generation right now. I got this feeling it's uh, the exercise is occasional instead of hardcore. And it's at the person's convenience. So then it, it starts out good, like a New Year's resolution, you know, all things <laughs> like that. And then when you get up to March, it's, well, I got to take the kids to the ball game. So I can squeeze in an hour exercise next Friday. Right. Well, personally, I think you have to make exercise a non-negotiable part of your day. I mean, that's not the thing you should give up. Maybe a little sleep, maybe a... I don't know, a little time with a friend or maybe a little less work, God forbid. Um, but exercise has to be non-negotiable. And it doesn't have to be awful. And you can divide it up into, you know, three 10-minute segments. You can park the car at the far end of the parking lot and get an extra two or three minutes walk. I mean, you can just be conscious of trying to get more exercise. And I get no money from anybody uh, except um, my publisher a little bit um, for the books, but I personally really like these uh, devices like Fitbit and Apple Watch and Garmin and those things that keep track of your steps because it's extremely motivating, you know, to try to get 7,500 steps a day. You can do it. And, you know, if you're a couple thousand off, you just walk around the house a little bit extra. I mean, it's very important to do it, and it really, really helps to kind of know where you are on the on the scheme of things. One of my daughter-in-laws is into the uh, um, the specialty games, you know, lifting tires and stuff like that, and lifting weights, even though she's a medical saleswoman. And she really takes it hardcore. But now, the last couple of years, I think she's got this newest machine at her house called a Pelotron. And now she's hooked on that. And she says it's so much easier because it keeps it entertaining while you do it. And you don't even realize it's an hour later or two hours later. Yeah, and but the message for most people is is that you don't have to do it for an hour. You know, like half an hour every day, really, uh, if you're walking at a reasonably brisk pace, can probably do it. it. It's not that you have to aim to run a marathon or do the Peloton for an hour, but just getting off the couch, <laughs> moving around, not sitting. Of course, I'm sitting right now as I'm talking to you, but just not sitting, moving is is it. You don't have to set the bar so high that it feels daunting. Set the bar reasonably so that you can actually get it done. But but hats off to your daughter-in-law. I got an email here from Newark, New Jersey, and it was saying on this type of book, after going three nonfiction to a novel that's fiction, and it seems like going through the book with the advanced couple of pages to read that you wrote this book in a third person. Is that correct? Yes, although that's an interesting point. I wrote it in third person and, you know, it's, I forget how many words. It's, it's, it's not a long book, but it's, you know, reasonable book length. And then I decided it should be in first person. So I rewrote the whole thing in first person. 
um, which basically means using the computer key to change she to I and stuff like that, which gets very confusing because the computer finds she, S-H-E, in the middle of a lot of words that have nothing to do with pronouns. <laughs> so you're reading through and then I realize, oh God, some of the chapters don't work in first person because that character wouldn't know what's going on. So I flipped it all back to third person. But yes, it is written in third person. Um, but it was a bit of an arduous path to, path to go back and forth. So this was a work in pride uh, quite a while. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and I did a lot of scientific interviews because the science in my book, it's a medical thriller, but the gene editing, the, the actual DNA science in the book uh, is absolutely 100% accurate. I, I spent a lot of time uh, working with a very famous Harvard geneticist, uh, Dr. George Church, who was very kind to me and, and had me in his office and explained how CRISPR works. And he was very kind. I would email him, you know, have I got this right? Have I got this right? And he would write back, yes, or here, you got to fix this. So I'm 100% confident in the science. The storyline itself I made up, obviously, but uh, the science is, is correct. That's not fictional or fantasy. It sounds like this book is going to have a lot of traction for a long term. I hope so. For long term. I hope so. You know, because of all the information and the hard work put into it. Did you design the cover? No, uh, the publisher did. Although I had a friend who is a designer. She did an original version of the uh, what became the cover. But the publisher's own designers designed it. But I have to say, I like it very much. I'm, I have no artistic talent at all, so I could not possibly have designed that. <laughs> but I'm very fond of it. I like it. Are you the first author in your family? Yes. Um, yeah, my fa I don't come from a family of writers. Um, not at all. Uh, my father was a business person and my brother was a business person. And my mother was creative, but uh, not, not for money. Um, so, yes, I am the first, the first author. Well, hopefully you're going to give somebody confidence, uh, female writers, that they can do this, too. You know, with digital printing now yeah. and stuff like that, if they have ideas, and especially in getting this valuable information out in this particular book. And what, yeah, and if what I could add just one... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> if I could just add one thing about CRISPR, um, people are going to be hearing more and more about it because it really is probably, or in my view at least, the most important medical advance in decades. And um, it really does have the potential to cure some um, genetic diseases like sickle cell anemia, which afflicts mainly um, uh, African-Americans. It's a disease where the, the red blood cells that carry hemoglobin are all crooked. So they don't slide around the corners of your blood vessels, right? And they clog up in the nooks and crannies and cause excruciating pain. Um, and there's already, uh, it's already been shown in mice by researchers at Harvard and, M and M at the Broad Institute at MIT and Harvard um, that they can cure it in mice. And there's a young woman, 18 years old in Texas, who has had this genetic treatment and seems to be cured. I mean, doctors don't use the word cure 
cured lightly, and neither do medical journalists, but she seems to be cured of sickle cell anemia. So that's just one example. Uh, there's a lot of potential good and some potential harm, as my book, which is a novel, it's fiction, um, highlights. So it's, it's really an important thing for people to, to know about. Um, and it's going to be, you know, people are going to be reading more and more about it and seeing more about it on the television. Now, has the publisher and yourself uh, submitted this book to any national awards that are coming up? That's a good question. I should ask, obviously. Uh, you know, it's just out. So I don't know. But I thanks for the reminder. I will write that down. I, I think um, it should be on everybody's <laughs> list for consideration. I really do. It's that good. Oh, well, thank you. Well, my, my hope is that it would become a movie because I think it would be a terrific yeah, movie. You're right. Um, you're right. The way it's scripted out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's practically wouldn't take too much tweaking to make it into a movie. So anyway, that, that's, uh, that's, that's a long an, shot, but it would be great. thought on that. It would be great. And you are working on something we can get in the future and get me a copy of it. I like your writing style. All right. I'm going to try to dig up one or two of the uh, three first books that you did uh, to see the transformation uh, from nonfiction to fiction. You can get them on Amazon. Okay. Now, also, I'm sure you can get them on Amazon. Uh, we're talking with Judy Foreman, and it's www.judyforeman.com. Fantastic website. All kinds of information on it, including blogging. Uh, you can purchase the books right there. She retains more of the profits that way. And also, as the virus dissipates here through New England, I'm sure she's going to be a busy gal at a lot of book signings and book fairs around New England, uh, probably the whole country, and especially health conventions around the country. You'll probably be a guest speaker. And we're honored to have Judy Foreman. A New England native, Massachusetts, right here on the award-winning Authors Hour radio program. I uh, got an email in from Brooklyn and wants to know, uh, are you a member of any writing groups? Yes, I am, and I highly uh, endorse that idea. Uh, I'm, I'm a member. I'm in. Uh, I'm a member of what's called the Harvard Institute for Learning and Retirement. It's one of those sort of lifelong learning things that a lot of universities have, and a group of us uh, has formed a writers group within that. And we meet every four or five weeks, and every week, every month or whatever it is, we submit something, and we all critique each other's stuff. And it's very helpful and very supportive and also fun. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of writing groups. It's, you know, at the very least, those people in the group are writing your stuff. Even if you can't get your friends or your spouse to read your stuff, here are people who will read your stuff. So it's, it's fun it, because writing is kind of a isolated, lonely experience in a way. So sharing it with other people is very, very valuable. So I encourage whoever wrote that to join or start a, a writing group. What advice would you have for a 12 or 13-year-old girl that is aspiring to be a writer? I would say write. <laughs> a diary, uh, a journal? A diary, a journal. Um, there might be a local newspaper she could write for, or she or he could, I guess she said a girl, she could write for. Um there's a whole lot, there's a whole category of books called young adults, most of which are written by older 
people. Um, but I don't see why a young person couldn't also write young adult books. Um, I, when I was that age, I devoured Nancy Drew. I, I love books with female <coughs> heroines and, you know, women weren't supposed to do anything back in the old days. So it was great to see a, you know, a rambunctious and smart, <coughs> excuse me, female detective in these, in these books. Um, and that, that young girl you were talking about could um, form her own writer's group. Um, you know, I think there are, there are a number of opportunities. But as a newspaper person myself, I would suggest trying to write for her local town newspaper um, or, you know, a teen column or, you know, something that would be aimed at kids her age or the school yeah, check with the guidance counselor at your local school. Maybe they have some kind of uh, information for you on uh, other people thinking of the same uh, lines. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. That's a great idea. Judy Foreman. I could go two, three hours on this. It's unbelievable. But you know in this business and your former business up in Boston, there, you got to pay the bills. Judy, thank you very <laughs> much for taking the time and coming on. I really, really enjoyed the interview. Thank you very much. Are you going to post it and send me a link? Uh, yep, it'll be posted on the uh, webs on the um, podcast at anchor.fm slash Wayne dash Bobber. And it's very, okay, very great. easy Thank to get you. to at Spotify. It has seven different podcasts here on that same thing. And it's averaging like 4,100 hits per day. So it's really gaining some oh, traction. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Uh, people, great. I didn't want to get into podcasting because I've added on so many things. And being in what they call semi-retirement, uh, you know, a retired webmaster and a polymath, my whole life, uh, when I retired early, I said I would never get, you know, going back as a webmaster again. Now I am with five more websites and 57 million viewers, and it's exploded even more. But now it still seems fun. <laughs> That's I great. reinvented myself. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's terrific. Judy, thank you again. I really, really appreciate thank you taking you. the time. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. That concludes the first part of the show, and I hate to cut her off because I honestly could have gone another hour. Today's transportation and limousine services provided by CJ Trans of Fairbanks and my fantastic receding hairline is a hairstyle by Wista Hair Company. Also, Little General Stores. By God, there's one in your neighborhood. And these are the sales that expire on 327. Chicken leg quarters at 69 cents a pound. Hormel cooked ham, only $3.99 a pound. And their own Chuck Hamburg, you know the good stuff, $4.99 a pound. Also, money orders, gift cards, propane exchange, seven great franchises to serve you and sponsor a recipe for a good day every Wednesday morning right here on Smokin' 99.9 FM WNRI. You know, it may be a little warm this week, but you know with the cost of diesel fuel with the trailer trucks and those Canadian wood pellets that they get out of Canada... And now the borders are finally open with no convoys up there or anything. Beelow's Flowers jumped the gun and they got two loads 
of those Canadian wood pellets at yesterday's price. You don't have to worry about any price increase. You get the good stuff. 9,000 BTU per pound, low creosote ash buildup. And also, winter's not over yet. Make sure you always keep right by the door, right by your steps, a jug or a five-gallon container of Inferno ice melt. And it's environmentally friendly for all of your uh, feathered friends, your animals, your lawns, and especially senior citizens that have an aluminum ramp. It will not pit it like regular rock salt does. They carry only the best products and gift shop at Belu's Flowers and Gift Shop. And remember, when you buy flowers from a florist, they last longer. Got a help wanted ad here too today. Cereo's Pizzerama and Restaurant up at the Bridgeton Triangle. If you're an experienced server or want to learn the pizza business, you get right there in the trenches and start answering the phone and be trained professionally. How to work in a pizza parlor. Cereal's Pizza Rama is hiring right now in person with Jimmy or Teresa. But you can call for an order to have it delivered to your address. They haven't lost an order yet. 401-568-7187. And you are very extremely lucky. Because today is Tuesday. And you know what that means. A large cheese pizza. 15 slices. Rectangle shape, nice cornmeal crust, only $7. That's enough for two nights for empty nesters. Put pepperoni mushrooms on there, watch Masterpiece Theater or Oak Island tonight, and you'll be all set. And don't forget about that Sunday dinner for two, the best in New England. I dare you, WayneWNRIJahoo.com, and tell me a better deal than your choice of six to ten entrees, including... Coffee and soda, including decaf. They usually make me a fresh pot. Then they top it off with a homemade dessert. All for $23.99. That's not a typo. At that price, you should give that server an extra fin. It'll make the server happy, you happy, the owners happy, and fantastic. $23.99. Cereal's Pizza Rima and Restaurant. Up there at that Bridgeton Triangle, which is alias Church Street, if you're setting your GPS or Bluetooth. 401-568-7187 to get an order delivered to you. And Jimmy's back now with more hours with the restaurant and a few other things he's got going there now. And I gotta tell you something about What's going on right here? AuthorsHourBookstore.com New and slightly read books. If you heard our author interview on our Author's Hour every Tuesday at 9 a.m., we will stock it. Call Wayne, WNRI at Yahoo.com for any locator service or a closeout book. Again, it's the new AuthorsHourBookstore.com. Mention today's show for another 10% off. Over 2,000 books in inventory. You know, there's been an awful lot of house flipping. As soon as you put the house on the market, you're probably going to get more than you advertise it for. It's such a hot market right now. 
So real estate agents, buyers, sellers, everybody right now, write down this phone number. Falcon Properties Preservation Group, LLC. And you'll be talking with Timothy Falcon. 401-205-5786. All kinds of moving, all types of cleanouts, real estate cleanout specialists. A little twist to it to save you a few little moolah dollars, American greenbacks. They've got a fleet of tilt body dump trucks. Eliminates that other's a container. It's all in one. One transportation. Ready to take away all of your unwanteds. They specialize in estate cleanouts. Junk in your yard or your shed will remove that too. It's Falcon Properties Preservation. That's Timothy Falcon. And boy, it's really, really working good. He said, Wayne, I don't know what you're doing with the radio ad, but the phone is ringing off the hook. He says, I, maybe I got the lowest prices in the state. 401-205-5786 to remove all of your unwanteds. I am so honored to even mention the Rhode Island Radio and Television Hall of Fame. It's quite a prestigious group. I got my list of this year's inductees last week, and I was shocked, and it really hit me. There was one female inductee out of an all-star cast. And then I saw the name, and I goes, that's one of the authors. That's one of my friends from the Association of Rhode Island Authors. That's my Facebook friend. And then I start doing my research again. And boy, I'll tell you, my uh, intelligence on this business is expanding every day. You know, we go back all the way to 1954 with WNRI and Smoker 99.9, the original number, 1380 AM, with that old popular 401-769-0600 that our guest has probably got tattooed on her arm. But we're going to be talking and interviewing now with a friend of mine and this year's inductee into the Rhode Island Radio and Hall of Fame, along with an all-star cast. And write your, get your paper and pencil, because this is the longest name I have ever announced on the author's hour. Joni Crocker Pfeiffer Moser, M-O-S-E-R. With an illustrious career, and I hope it's not over yet, WJAR, our own WNRI from 1977 to 1980, uh, 1980 with Paul Perry in, that, in controls at that time, WPRO, WMYS, and Cat Country, WCTK. Good morning, Joni. How are you? Well, good morning, Wayne. <laughs> I want you to know that that long name is really my the name I use on Facebook. Okay. Because Crocker was my maiden name. Okay. Pfeiffer was my Joni Pfeiffer, my married name, and then I. So people can find me, and then I'm remarried, and I'm now Joni Mosier. But radio, people in the radio world know know me as Joni Pfeiffer. So how are you today? So nice of you to have me. I am doing fantastic now. 
Because you're on the phone with me. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. I apologize. I did not know the history from 77 through 80 down here at NRI. And we have yeah. had so many all-star people in the radio business working in this studio here in the Woonsocket area. I've, I've got to educate myself more on that with Roger and Dick and the rest of the senior citizens down here. And wait a minute. I'm part of that group now, too. But <laughs> Uh, me too. As a matter of fact, you know, I started at JAR in Providence, as you mentioned, and but that was a part-time, my first job, first female, too, working in the market. And um, then Paul Perry approached me in 1977, and I took the morning show job. And that was a, a great three years. I have to say, I learned so much at that radio station. It was the kind of thing where... I came in in the morning, I made the coffee, I turned on the transmitter, um, I called the uh, meteorologist and recorded the weather, and then I went Was it Arthur Cataract at the time? Uh, no. You had no. a different one? Um, oh, I he, what he, do you mean? Uh, Arthur Cataract was a local legend up here with the uh, weather no, forecast. I, I, didn't, I didn't know him, he was probably after. Another guy that um, should be in the Hall of Fame. Really, yeah. I uh, I don't recall him at the moment, but um, it was Paul Perry and he his co-owner. And then, oh, I'm trying to remember all the names. It was a long time ago. Do you realize it's almost 50 years? <laughs> <laughs> don't remind <laughs> me. Don't remind me, Jody. Oh, my I God. Know. I read it to somebody at an Irish stamp fest, uh, Irish stuff. A step dance festival for one of my grandkids the other day, uh, Sunday, at Providence Day Care Center. And this woman tapped uh -huh. me on the shoulder. And she says, I was in your first grade class at Oakland Mapleville, you know. And I almost <laughs> had a heart attack because I remembered her. <laughs> Unbelievable. What a small world we live in. It really is. It really is. You've got to tell me, back WJAR in Woonsocket, WNRI, back in that era in the 70s, how hard was it for a female radio person to get into business? It, it wasn't easy. And the only reason, I think, that I got started back in 74 was because there was a lot of talk in our society about women, about opportunities for women. And it was license time at WJAR. They were applying you know, for a relicense, or reapplying, I should say. And um, I, I was offered a part-time job. I had no experience. I knew nothing wow. about it. And I had always thought of myself as going into news because I'm kind of a serious person. But, you know, I'm adventurous also, so I took the job. And I had to be trained. I was lucky that the guy that uh, I worked for who said to me, I don't believe women should be on the air, but if you're going to be on the air, you're going to be good. Uh, he he was told you train. right up front? Oh, sure. He said that. Um, you know, um, a, lot of, a lot of the guys resented that I, and I don't blame them, that I just came in without any experience because everybody else had to start somewhere before they got on a, a station as prestigious as WJAR was in those days. And, um, yeah, and, and then as, as time went on, um, I had my Me Too moments, and I would never have reported it because I would have been fired. I had, there was, um, there was a, um, a, man, a 
very important broadcasting guru who who blackballed me and told uh, an, a general manager of, an, of a radio station to not hire me. Wow. I mean, there was a lot of that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, there was a lot of good stuff. Do you remember Chris Clark? Oh, him? yes. Oh, my God. Well, he used to come into the studio every time I was on the air and to make sure I was okay, to make sure people were treating me well. He was a gem. And there were plenty of people like that, men and women, who were very, very supportive and caring. So I, I just decided, I'm, my goal was, I'm going to do the job. I am not going to use the woman card. I am not going to do this, use the sex card. I am simply going to do the job. And that's what I did. And I did that all the way through, all of my years working uh, on radio. So that's what I did. And I'm kind of a quiet, reserved person. And, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not out there um, bragging about myself and all that kind of stuff. But... But anyway, I was pretty shocked when I learned last week that um, I was selected to be, be in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. I was pretty shocked because it's been a long time. But I do think that it's a good thing that they are recognizing me because um, of what I went through and what I did. And hopefully I made it um, a good uh, thing for other women you know, to feel that they, they have that possibility as a career choice as well. Are you in the process right now of writing your acceptance speech when you're inducted? It's in my head, but I haven't written it down. And I don't know how much time we're given. I think there's seven inductees, yeah. and one of them is, is uh, Doug White. And I'm sure that, you know, uh, but he was so well known and loved. Well, they'll probably sure have a that. video presentation when it comes to Doug yeah, White. Yeah, that's, true. that's I, true. I would say in this now, you know, they'll have a a PowerPoint presentation or something because mm -hmm. of what an illustrious career. It's yes. unbelievable. But it yes, is quite a fraternity. <clears throat> hey, I was just curious. Um, maybe I'm catching yeah. you off guard. How many other female inductees are there in the Rhode Island Hall of Fame for radio and TV? It's got to be a, uh, hand, a handful? Uh, yeah, I would say a handful. Uh, um, I, I know a few that were, when it was just the Radio Hall of Fame, I remember Marianne Sorrentino and um, Arlene Violet, um, Joan Edwardson, um, uh, Debbie Rich um, you know, some were ones. all inducted. There may be others, but it was, would there... I mean, you know, there were more men, of course, to pick from, yeah. you know. But um, as far as television, I don't have a list. I mean, it's not, it's been the Radio and Television Hall of Fame for the past few years. And then there was COVID, so we didn't, they didn't have it the last couple of years, as far as I know. Um, but remember Sarah Y. Yeah, another, oh, what a legend. I don't know if she's in the, uh, that's somebody that should be. She was the first television uh, anchor, as far as I can remember, um, uh, on television back, way back in the 70s. And now, she was terrific. She was terrific. We were good friends. Yeah. I've got to bring actually, something up here. You said that you started this right around 74, your illustrious yes. career. I was made aware of something last night that I cannot get out of my head as uh -oh. far as uh, racism and suppressing women. You know, we all know that the women in this country, after a vicious fight in 1918, they finally got the right to vote. 
I mean mm-hmm. vicious, you know, two or three year period before that. Yes. People were put yes. in prison. And I then, know. It's so hard to believe. <laughs> last night, I'm watching TV, and uh, was the Boston station, WBZ, I think it was, I was uh, surfing. And they had a, a little 10-minute thing on the Boston Marathon. And they were saying, this year marks the 50th year of women being allowed in the Boston Marathon. That started yes. in 1972. Uh-huh. You talk about biased. I was never oh, aware yeah. of that. Yeah, well, I know. You probably wouldn't be because nobody talked about it in those days. But, you know, I can say when I grew up, um, in Rhode, I grew up in Rhode Island, um, you know, the choices for women, at least in my head and the messages that I got, I could be a nurse, a teacher, or a secretary. And I had two brothers that were a little bit younger than I. My parents told me that they had to go to college, but it wasn't important for me, even though I had yep. been, yep. you know, an uh, honor student and all that kind of stuff. I knew it all had to do with money. Yeah, because you're going to be a housewife and he's going to be a breadwinner. Right, that kind of thing. <laughs> that was the mentality. Wrong with a housewife. I'm not saying that at all. But it's just. Um, the choices that that were available for women in those days never occurred to me to go into radio or you know but um i did land a job at channel 10 i started there actually before radio and i worked for the general manager i learned so much and that's when my voice got on tape and that's when the general manager of the radio station asked me if i'd be interested in uh working you know a part-time job there so well, anyway, let's talk, um, uh, talk a little bit about the authors, our radio program, and why you're on yeah, here. Let's talk course. about your writing career. What are you well, working I mean, on now? I don't know if, I, if you're so kind. I don't know what kind of... I have, don't. I mean, I did write a children's book that was published, and um, lately, I haven't been writing too much in the past couple of years during COVID. It was kind of a tough time. I had a couple of medical issues and all that kind of stuff. But I have been writing memoir. I'm writing stories about, you know, times in my life. And that's what I'm working on now. I also was uh, dabbling, I guess you'd say, in poetry. And I I was in the Whitford Art Association's poetry and uh, writers, um, I mean, poetry and art uh, exhibits that they have every year. I was in that for three years in a row. Um, so, you know, I've been doing that kind of thing. I had, remember when I was on your program about my children's book? Yeah. Couple of, couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, with Lenore Rehm. Yeah. Um, I, I had intended to make a series uh, with that book. I, the book was about an apple, and it was geared for kids three to seven. And it was a cute little story, if I must say so myself. I was going to uh, do a lot of... Um, uh, fruits. I was going to do one fruit after another and make a little story, but yep. I don't know. It just I got bogged down in life. You know, it just didn't get that done. And now it's more important to me to work on memoir. And I'm also creating scrapbooks for my grandchildren. Um, I've saved little things over the years, and I want to put that all together for them. Um, you know, before I leave the planet. Did you uh, <laughs> participate in any of the Aria anthologies? Uh, yes, I think I'm in one. Um, I, w- I used to belong to the um, 
Thursday Writers Guild in uh, South County. Yep. I was in that for quite a few years. I'm in several of their anthologies, but I think I'm in one ARIA anthology. I think you were in the Selections one, that red and white one, if I remember right. I can't remember what I sent. I think that's the one that's um, a couple of years old, that one there. Yeah, I can't remember what story I sent. I love I anthologies. I really, really do. I love those yeah. short stories in that. And, yeah, you know, 30 absolutely. different interpretations of a, a topic is really, really exciting. Yes, uh, it is. You working on anything now? Uh, just memoir, which is pretty important. I mean, they're all a series of stories from my life. I got a question and, for uh, you. Would your yes. illustrious career, uh, I've been through a lot, and I, I have to say, I think I still got a very, very good, vivid memory. Uh, my first yeah. book that I wrote was Four Million Miles in 30, uh, 42 Years Without a Chargeable Accident. And it was the history of different professions that I was in or businesses I own that I did commercial driving. And I got in accidents, but not a chargeable accident. And there was only three of us in all New England, according to Teamsters and everybody else. And then I pulled it off the market now for a rewrite. And... I'm, everybody's telling me you've got to do a memoir because the clock is ticking. And I am stumped because I already went through the first 700 pages and I'm not halfway through the, what I want to write. So I've mm. come up with an idea and maybe I'm off the base here. You know, I'm pretty new into this five years into this uh, business. But I think yeah. I'm going to do a series of seven books. And break my memoir down to book one and do them in 10-year increments. Yeah. And if people yeah, well, really like the first and second one, you've mm -hmm. guaranteed your customers for the next five books. Mm-hmm. That's right. That is a way to do memoir, and some people do do it that way. Um, I've chosen to... to um, to do little short stories. I was in, I've taken classes in memoir writing too, and they have what, what, what are called prompts. And it's amazing how something uh, simple can bring back a memory. And if it's important enough, you think, that to your life, to, to more or less say, tell about your character yep. and who you are as a person. Um, it's worth writing. So that's the way I've been approaching Got it. Got a question for I mean, you. Where were those yeah. memoir classes? Was that in one of the uh, colleges? Uh, no, it was um, in Narragansett when I was in the Guild Writers Group. Um, there was a professor, Nancy Schuster, who was having a class at the Narragansett Library. That's where you find these gems of classes yeah. in libraries. I took a wonderful poetry class um, at a library in North Kingstown, where I'm living now. And I was um, lucky when I lived in Mystic a couple of years ago to be in a, in a writing group led by a published author, and she taught me so much. It was so amazing. So it's always good to take creative writing. Oh, you, it's a win-win oh. just in the networking and if it eliminates yeah. a couple of costly mistakes along the way on anything, you're way ahead yeah. of the game. But you've got to want yeah. to learn too. Yes. It's what you put into it. And you've put Absolutely. in a lot into your yeah. life. And you've <laughs> still got a lot to offer. And I'm proud oh, to call so you kind. a friend. Proud oh, to call so you a friend. Wayne. 
You're very kind. Are you coming to the um, to the event in September? Uh, which one is that now? The Hall of Fame dinner at the uh, Crown Plaza. I think I may just have a seat there. I think yeah, WR, WNRI has a table, and I think oh, this good. year here, I'm finally got I got enough under my belt now. Twelve years yeah. on the board here with three different shows, our radio yeah. personality of the year twice in four years, and the number wow. one show with the Reader's Choice Awards, uh, best mm-hmm. in business for the call in the Times, and I'm so honored on him. I hopefully I'll get it. Maybe I'll even buy a seat instead of uh, getting the company seat because. I do not want to miss what your acceptance speech is going to be. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, dear. Thank you, Joni. I, th- I don't think we'll have a lot of time to do with spe- I mean, I'm sure they'll say you, you got three minutes or something like that. But I'll try to, I'll try to say something um, intelligent. <laughs> you won't have any problem at all. Thank you, Joni. <laughs> Uh, it's a pleasure, and I'm, I'm so honored that you uh, you reached out to me to, to have this interview. As soon as I read the notice, I was on the phone. Yes. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Have and one of the best days show. of your life. Thank you. <laughs> okay, take care. Bye-bye. Oh, this could have been a three-hour show, I'll tell you. But you know, we have an essential coronavirus small business right here in Northern Rhode Island. American Beauty Sign Works, owned and operated by Oscar the Grouch. And don't forget about Desiree with three E's. Digital sign repairs, you name it. 401-767-2922. And I'm looking at the clock. It was so good a minute. And I got my author's hour outro into the computer. I feel like such a professional. And I'd like to thank WNRI right now for giving me the opportunity to have this freedom of putting shows on the air that think outside the box just a little bit. I hope you enjoyed today's show, available on podcast at anchor.fm slash wayne-barber. I enjoyed it, and I hope you did too. Thank you to our fine sponsors, guests, and emailers at WayneWNRI at Yahoo.com and for tuning in to the Author's Hour. Remember to shop locally and to read a book. And tomorrow, please have the best day of your life. Your host, Wayne G. Barber.